You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, hello again from Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. It's the month of February 2024. It's time for your Ask the Expert segment. And I'm your host, Craig Hemke. Joining me this month is a new guest, someone that you're going to want to get to know and hear from, Michael Leibowitz. Uh, Michael is an analyst. He's a commentator. He's also a registered investment advisor. You've certainly seen his work. He's quoted all the time at Zero Hedge, other sites on the internet besides his site, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Great to be here. Look forward to the conversation. Let's do two things before we get started. I want to remind everybody that, of course, this content, all the content you get all month long is brought to you by Sprott Money and SprottMoney.com. They're currently still running a wonderful special where you can buy a 1,000-ounce silver bar, one of those babies that weighs like 60 pounds, and they'll store it for you for three months. That's a pretty good deal. Low price on the silver and free storage for 90 days. Go to SprottMoney.com. Uh, or, of course, just give them a call at 888-861-0775. Uh, Michael, your new guest, tell everybody a little bit about what you do at uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. So we realinvestmentadvice.com puts out research. We talk about markets, economics, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, because <laughs> that's that's everything these days. Uh, and at the same time, I'm a portfolio manager with uh, RIA advisors. Um, so, you know, most of my time I spend managing money for our clients. Uh, but but unlike most RIAs, we put out a lot of information. We do podcasts, we write articles, myself and Lance Roberts. Um, so, you know, my day is devoted to typing up something, an article, whatever the current topic of the jour is. And then, you know, doing some trading, managing some money and going back and forth. So uh, yeah, that's what I do. I've got your site bookmarked so that I regularly check it and don't forget to, because you and Lance, you. again, put out great content uh, almost daily. You've had a wonderful series oh. you've been writing on inflation. Mm -hmm. And I'd encourage everybody to go there and check that out. Let's kind of start there, uh, Michael, because as we record this on the 15th of February, uh, big shock to everybody this week was the CPI inflation in the U.S. And suddenly, hey, inflation is coming back and rate cut expectations plunged and yields on the 10-year note went soaring. Um, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, I know you've been in the camp that I have that everybody got way ahead of themselves expecting seven or eight rate cuts as last year began. The Fed's been saying maybe only two or three. Where do you fall in this on this uh, rate cut expectation cycle stuff. You know what? The, there's no reason for the Fed to cut right now. The economy is doing well. They don't want to stoke inflation. They want inflation to come down. So if you just put yourself in their shoes, why you're, you don't need to be in a hurry to cut. So I think what Powell and, and most members of the Fed have been telling us is correct. We're going to do two or three, probably weighted towards the latter half of the year. And that's what you should expect from us. That's what they're telling us. And that's what is logical. Barring, you know, the economy comes crashing down, things change. I get it. But based on what we know, that's a that's a logical conclusion. The market, you know, is always hungry for rate cuts. So, you know, like you said, they they started pricing in seven or eight cuts. 
economic data has been good. So that's slowly gone from eight to seven to six. And then we got the CPI data uh, Tuesday. And first of all, I think the data was a little bit of a joke, but the market just reacts and take out takes out all those Fed cuts. The, and the, re, the reason I think it's a joke is because a third of the number is shelter costs. So that that basically is rents, people's paying for rents, and then this imputed rent that is they call owners OER, uh, owners equivalent rent. And if you look at it, it just it shot up. And that's that's the reason CPI was higher than expected. But all evidence on the ground is that rent is rents are coming down, that they're flat to even below zero, depending on who you look at, Zillow or Redfin. So, and the data lags by so much. Consider that everyone with a lease, it resets once a year. So your data is really one-twelfth real-time. Whoever's leases are resetting that month, unlike orange juice or, or pick your other commodity or other service. It's what's the current price for, for the service or the good today. That one is lagging by 12 months and they only do this. They only survey you twice a year. So if I just got surveyed last month and my rent got decreased this month, it won't even show up for five more months. So, I, you know, I think the number was garbage. I think what I focus on, because you can't calculate inflation, you can only focus on the trends. It's an impossible number to calculate. So I focus on the trends. And when you strip out, when you, when you just normalize shelter, I think we're below 2% already. And then there were some other one-off factors like medical costs, insurance, premiums. That was all January related. That happens every January, but it's hard to seasonally adjust it correctly. So I think, you know, as we continue through the year, we're going to see CPI and inflation numbers continuing to fall and the Fed will get more comfortable with cutting rates. But, you know, that's probably a June, July, August event, unless something else happens. I, I was reminded again this morning of a chart I've seen quite a few times over the last 12 months, and that's the falling M2 money supply, which is kind of one specific measure. But some people look at that and go, look, if the monetary base is contracting, if you measure it that way, um, and at a level the U.S. hasn't seen since the Great Depression, mm -hmm. does, does that also kind of blend into your argument that inflation continues to come down this year rather than whatever shock people got earlier this week? It, that's half the argument. Okay. So inflation is a combination of the money supply and the velocity of money. Mm -hmm. So it's not just how much money there is, it's how, how often it spins through the economy, right? If the government prints a trillion dollars and they dig a hole and they throw all that trillion dollars in a hole, there's no effect on anything. It doesn't matter. It's sitting in a hole there. Yeah. Now, if, you know, if that money gets released and people start spending it, then the velocity increases. So I think what's going on is there's still a lot of stimulus in the system. There's still some pent up demand from COVID and velocity is still running high at the same time. M2 is still contracting. So, uh, you know, just everything for the last three, what's been four years now has been crazy. So we're dealing with these echoes of what's mm -hmm. happened. Uh, you remember, I mean, money supply rose by so much. To, so to see it contract is not unsurprising, shouldn't surprise us. And you just kind of got to look at the line in general, and it's still above where trend money supply growth was. Um, so 
contraction is a factor towards deflation, disinflation, but velocity is probably the 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 more variable factor right now. And will the 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 government do more stimulus? Will consumers start back off like we saw with retail sales today? It was a weak number, but one number doesn't mean anything. Ultimately, unemployment is all I'm is the most important number we can focus on. And right now, that's that's pretty strong. There there are flaws in it, but it's pretty strong. Where, where do you stand on the hard landing, soft landing, buzz the field economy? You know, again, and what data do you even use to make that determination, you know, that we're in a recession or we're in growth anyway? But where do you stand on that? Or do you still think uh, this tighter monetary policy of the last couple of years leads to recession? I do. I, I, I don't think that the Fed can can drive the plane like they think they can. We know they can't. Yeah. I mean, this has been proven time and time again. They overdo it. They underdo it. Their timing is off. And I, you, know, you can't blame them. This data is so ambiguous and tough to gauge. I do think we have a landing. How hard it is, how bumpy it is, I don't know. But I do think we have a recession. Timing that recession is extremely difficult. But I, you know, my guess is later this year, maybe early next year. And I've been wrong on this. I thought it would come sooner. But again, <laughs> but again, employment is my gauge. When I start seeing jobless claims picking up steadily, and then ultimately the BLS reports showing that there's weakness, I think that's when we go into recession mode. And keep in mind, the UK, Germany, and Japan are in a recession. China, is technically down in a recession, but they're, they they might as well be. For them, 3% growth is a recession. So, you know, that's other than India, those are your top five, other than India and America, those are your top, the leading economic nations. And, you know, you could say of the six, four of the six are in a recession. So, so it's not contagion. normal. It's not normal given the global nature of the economy yeah. for America not to be in a recession when the rest of them are and vice versa. So we'll watch a job report more than anything. Watch, um, yeah. And, and ADP and jobless claims yeah. and some of these surveys and try to mash all that data together and see where it gets you. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the Fed for a second. Uh, part of the rationale of the ramp up of rate cut expectations at the end of last year was this notion that the Fed, you know, they established that that term funding facility last March, in March of 23, when all these regional banks were in trouble and allowed them, and you know, because their balance sheets were were all messed up because their investment, you know, their, their bonds they bought at 1% were suddenly at, trading at 80 cents on the dollar. And if you held maturity, fine. But in the meantime, the banks are insolvent, so they park them in this facility and get 100 cents on the dollar back from the Fed, everybody's happy. Well, anyway, the Fed came out and announced, I don't know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that they're going to go ahead and discontinue that per plan. And it's going to go away in March. So people are like, okay, well, there's a problem coming back. We've also had that massive amount of cash marked in that in that reverse repo account, the excess reserve account, if you want to call it that, at the Fed. It peaked at Two and a half trillion dollars, what, a year and a half ago? And now it's down to 500 billion. Yeah. Anyway, this is a long answer. Um, do you, I mean, that was seemed to be factored into this idea that the Fed was going to start cutting in March. Do you, do you, have you ever thought that that was going to be an issue? Do you think that might still be an issue? I, I think it's an issue, but Craig, who owns the Fed? Who, who the are banks. the shareholders? Right. Yeah. The banks are the, the shareholders of the Fed. That it's not the government. 
I know right. everyone likes to think that they are not. It is the banks. So first and foremost, yeah, we could talk about price stability and maximum employment and all these congressionally mandated goals. At the end of the day, it's what the bank presidents want or need <laughs> is what's going to happen. And look, the Fed is not dumb. They're, they're very bright people at the Fed. They understand that removing a lifeline from potentially troubled banks can be problematic. So they know they know a lot more than we know. So I'm right now I'm kind of going on the whim that they're not as concerned about this banking issue as some people are. Do can it, you know, the Fed's been wrong, right? Grossly wrong about the health of banks. And there certainly are some banks that could fail, right? We've seen this New York Community Bank kind of teetering on the edge. They're the ones that bought Signature Bank, which failed. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that there won't be some regional banks that don't struggle. But at the end of the day, based on what we know, and assuming the Fed has a lot more information than us, I think it could be a rocky period, you know, come March, April, May. But I, I think the Fed un thinks that this is a very manageable situation. So whether you trust the Fed or not, you kind of have to appreciate their point of view. Sure. What do you think about that reverse repo balance? I mean, that's $2 trillion that was kind of quarantined, if you will. Um, it was excess cash in the system. Yeah. Now that that's $2 trillion has come out to kind of keep the liquidity, you know, gears greased, uh, that if that trends to zero, it goes to zero. Do you think that kind of adds enough tightening that the Fed is forced to do something? It will. It definitely will. Because I think that's what the Fed did was they created that program or they resurrected that program to take the money out of the system. Otherwise, yields would have fallen even further. And, they, mm -hmm. and their goal is to manage the Fed funds rate. So they took that money out of the system by offering somewhere else for that money to go. Well, now the Treasury is borrowing heavily and there's other needs in the economy. So that money is flowing into the economy. It was extra money, extra liquidity. And they successfully pulled it out. And now that extra liquidity is kind of flowing to where it normally flows and it's going away. So as we get towards zero, the question is, are we out of excess liquidity? And are we? is the Treasury and other borrowers starting to grab out of the liquidity pile, the, the needed liquidity pile? Because that's when you potentially have issues. So, yeah, we are keeping a close eye on that number. And the number is not necessarily zero. Could be 400 billion. It could be mm -hmm. minus 100 billion. But it's definitely as we get closer to zero, it it potentially it's pulling liquidity out of the system, which we have to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, it uh, we had a lot of stuff happen here, obviously, in just the first six or seven weeks of the year. Um, gold is held in there pretty well. I think uh, off the spot price, it's maybe down about $60 or 3% given all of it has had to deal with. Right. Not too shabby. Um, let's kind of wrap up with your experience as a registered investment advisor and managing people's money. Um, you know, I get a lot of people on my site, you know, they're like, oh, I just, all I want to do is own gold. And I've always been, oh, come on. I mean, it has a, a purpose. Right. Um, what, where, how do you, view gold and and how do you position it for people in their minds uh you know for the people who trust you with their assets right so i personally own a little gold both in physical form and some in etf form um uh, and to tell you the truth i don't follow i you know 
I don't even know exactly how much gold I have. It's it's just like my life insurance policy. I don't read up on it every day. Mm-hmm. It's a pol- it's an insurance policy that I think is appropriate in a portfolio. As far as as an RAA and managing other people's money, I am fine with owning gold, but we tend to trade it a little more. And what we have our research shows us is that the correlation that the the price of gold is more predictable when the Fed has policy that's too easy. So when the real the real uh, real yields are about one percent or less, gold and real yields are very highly correlated. And all that's really telling you is that when the Fed's kind of stepping over bounds and doing too much, they're bringing rates below where they should be. Gold does well. Mm-hmm. Right now. The Fed's doing what they should be doing. They got rates up at 5%. They're keeping them there. It's not, you know, there's there's not a lot of correlation between gold and real yields above about one, one and a half percent. So from my point of view, I'm kind of rudderless. I, I know what I, I know what drives gold when real yields are one percent or lower, and I can trade that and manage around that all day. Then you you kind of get to other factors driving gold, and that's just not my cup of tea. So real yields and what and essentially like everything in our conversation, it all comes down to what the Fed is doing. That's unfortunately the state of the world that we live in, that we have so much debt that the manager of liquidity is the one that's kind of pulling all the strings. Yeah. So and I think that holds true for gold as well. So uh you know right now we as a ria we don't own any gold Uh, we actually have one portfolio with gold when the fed starts getting active we will probably add gold to the portfolio but right now the fed's not really showing signs of getting real yields back you know anywhere close to where they were yeah so you wait it's an asset class in your money management right when when, like any other asset class when the signals look right you start to move in it's an insurance policy and an asset class and separate those two out and asset class is tradable insurance policy, just like life insurance. I, you know, I don't know what's in my life insurance. I haven't looked at it since I signed those papers. I, I, I pay the check every year it's there and hopefully I never use it just like that gold in my basement. Hopefully someday I go sell it. Right. <laughs> Not yeah. trading it for food or something else. That's always I always think that's the best analogy, or maybe it's a metaphor. Um, you've got that your gold is an investment, or it's an insurance policy against madness. Right. Um, exactly. Just as you insure your house against disaster, uh, you insure your net worth against disaster too. Right. Uh, Michael, it's been fascinating uh, to visit with you. This is great conversation. Um, I want to remind everybody on the way out the door, though, there's more great conversations to come. And Sprott Money provides all of this month-long stuff free of charge. Later this month, we'll have your monthly wrap-up. And of course, month of March, it all continues with podcasts and videos through the whole month. So if anything, hit the subscribe button, the like button, and make sure that uh, you are notified every time Sprout Money posts something new. Uh, We'll have more again in a couple of weeks. Michael, thank you though for your time. It's been great to visit with you. And I, I think everybody's really enjoyed hearing from you. Good. Thank you very much for having me. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for watching. And we'll have more information for you before the end of the month.